Today, we're having a conversation on safety mindsets. Today's guest, Dr. Amy Silver, told me recently that when teams can build a culture of psychological safety and create safe spaces, then they're actually capable of courageous communication. I wanted to have a conversation with her, not only about what it means for teams, but also what that means for us individually as a leader. Hi everyone and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author and mentor from Melbourne, Australia and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. Today, I've got the privilege of talking to Dr. Amy Silver, who I had the privilege of running an event with last year and got to see firsthand her brilliance in action. She's a speaker, author, mentor, and psychologist, helping organizations create cultures that are psychologically safe and helping individuals choose that space of courage over fear. Dr. Amy, it's so great to have you. Welcome. Hello. This is so lovely. It's so fun. I love being able to have these conversations and then it's almost like you and I are having a phone call and the rest of the world gets to tune in and hear our phone call together. Yeah, how um, awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to jump into our conversation, but I always like to start by asking a few questions to help people get to know you a little bit better. So can we start with three fast facts? Number one, uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Number two, uh, what was your first job? And number three, what are you doing now? Um, my, I grew up in London. And I always feel kind of apologetic for saying that because it's, it's quite a boring, like, you know, I don't know, it's it's a beautiful place and it's amazing, but um, it's quite obvious when I'm from England that, you know, that's an obvious place. I'd love to be from, I did spend 10 years in Manchester, but um, yeah, London was where I grew up. Um, uh, my first job was, well, apart from sort of working in shoe shops and I worked in an old age home, um, which is what we called it in those days, um, when I was growing up. Um, my first qualified job, I guess, was as a clinical psychologist. So that was um, quite a long training. So along along the way, you you do lots of different jobs that kind of enable you to get there. But yeah, my first job was probably um, doing therapy and research. Um, always, always been fascinated with fear. That's really been my um, what I've been most interested in because in therapy and in the research, I was kind of mostly keen on understanding how fear inhibited the choices that people made. And I think, you know, that's really where I'm, I'm at right now. Um, although I came out of therapy and research, uh, really because it, it all got quite intense, um, mm. for me. And I just wanted a bit of a, um, uh, I wanted to learn how to play again. And so I actually, with a detour through 
acting, which was amazing. And wow. I went to drama school for a bit and um, learned how to play again and had the best best couple of years of my life. It was awesome. But, um, you know, I sort of found my way back into working with fear and, and just you know, seeing how fear inhibits performance, how it inhibits communication, how it inhibits people from being their best self. And so now I continue that, you know, I, I write about that. I work with organizations and teams and individuals helping them understand how fear inhibits them from being the best that they can be. Um, because I think it's one of those um, hidden things which, you um, you know, once once we kind of unearth it and people understand that there are things to do uh, to help, um, you know, people people function better, people enjoy their their worlds more. So, mm. uh, yeah, that's that's really what I I do now is is still the same as I did, um, you know, twenty five maybe thirty years ago. Um, help people get through their fears. I love that. And we're going to talk a little bit later on about some of the the decision to, I guess, choose courage over fear and, and a lot of people who think that maybe there's not a lot we can do about that. I, we were mm-hmm. having a bit of a conversation yesterday about what we'd be talking about today. And I, I, I love some of that. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But um, mm-hmm. can we kick off this idea of what psychological safety is all about? Because you, you kind of framed a little bit um, in that kind of intro there. But mm-hmm. can we get all on the, on the same page a little bit about what, what exactly is psychological safety and what's your perspective on all of this? Well, it really kicked off in in terms of the corporate world because Google did this big project and then another couple of really interesting research projects showed that there was this intangible piece that um, explains why some teams work together and some teams don't. And they looked for all sorts of demographic reasons, couldn't find them. Um, But this thing called psychological safety, which quite a lot of psychologists were writing around anyway um, in academia land, um, was this key uh, driver for how teams can build on each other's contribution rather than um, either shutting each other down or just not accessing um, the very best of the individuals in the team. And so when that came out, out um, I think there was this real onslaught of attention to, oh, my God, we've got to work out what this is and how do we get it? And, you know, people were looking towards the environment as a, and particularly to leaders to set the tone, you mm. know, um, enable the space for people to contribute, uh, look for disagreements, look for risk um, and be being vulnerable. And there were these kind of key words being put out there that were really key from a therapeutic perspective so something that therapists really deeply understand and in fact it's it's really most of our training um the quality of the relationship that you have with the patient is probably the key driver that you've got to determine the outcome of the therapy and that doesn't mean you have to like each other but you have to have a good um quality of relationship that's trust trustworthy that's Mm. safe um, and that people can use the quality of that relationship to drive any behavior changes or any new things that you're asking them to do or to reveal things that they that they're keeping as sort of deep dark secrets that you know need to be out there. So you, psychological safety is something that's sort of as a therapy tool is absolutely essential Mm. and I think the combination of the oh my god here's the research from you know how do we make a high performing team um 
you, you know, there was this sort of frisson of activity. Everyone's talking about psychological safety, but nobody really, I don't think, was kind of really tapping into to the how. Mm. Um, and so what I feel like when I'm working with a team, I'm really keen on everybody understanding is that there is there are two really key parts to psychological safety um that, that well there's, there's three actually but i can talk about two <laughs> but, um the the first is that there is an understanding of if we you and i are working together that i understand how to make you feel safe right mm. and that i have buy-in to make you feel safe right and that there is purpose for me to make you feel safe because we can do more together because i know you're going to contribute more mm. um that only works if there's this third element that i just hardly hardly mentioned but <laughs> which is that there is a collective goal right so if you and i yeah. actually want to achieve something together then me caring about your safety is really crucial. I have to, I have to understand how to not put you in a fear response, mm. um, because as soon as I put you close to a fear response by my communication or by my style, then um, I'm inhibiting what you're going to bring, mm. um, and you will channel whatever you bring via what you feel is safe. Um, that's just kind of common sense. That's just what humans do. Mm. So the very first sort of very very first thing is collective having a collective goal right that's absolutely crucial for a team to to be able to work well together mm. but the very the next thing is that I have to make you feel safe and I have to understand how to do that and that's how I make you feel safe is not how I would make you know John in our team feel safe mm. or Mary in our team feel safe I have to actually be um, not just emotionally intelligent but action orientated with my emotional intelligence to understand the different triggers that I may put out there that would trigger your anxiety. I have to take responsibility for that and I have to know how to fix it if I do. Mm. So that's that's one part of psychological safety. The other is that um, I, I need to take responsibility for myself. Mm. So we all walk into work um, or teams or anywhere with um, with a history, with a story, with genetic predispositions, with um, a huge amount of um, I- experiences that have given us a story of of our level of safety. So I always give this story that I was had to present once to um, to a board, and I walked in. I didn't know the board. It was. At one of those really dark mahogany offices, you know, where yeah, just everything was <laughs> like these tables that you just, you know, my I walk into those rooms, I'm just like, how do they get this table in the room? Like it's, <laughs> it looks so heavy. They must have built the building around it. Um, and the curtains are so heavy and like everything's brass and shiny and the carpet's thick and the chairs are heavy. And I'm in an, I don't know what you call it, like an atrium or like a I can't remember what you call it, like a, a part where you're on the side and you, you, you can just hear what's going on in the mm. boardroom, but you can't actually get in yet. Right. Um, and I could hear all this laughter, guffawing and kind of, you know, and it was all it, all male voices, um, all felt like they were having the most amazing time. And as time ticked on and my slot was was being held back, you know, and I'm sitting there for, you know, another 20 minutes after my, my slot, um, my anxiety starts creeping up mm. and I walk into the room and, and obviously I have a choice then, right? Do I, do I let my stories of 
you know, who am I to present? I'm so insignificant. These people are really important. Um, they can't identify with me. I don't identify with them. What am I doing here? All of those kind of that internal anxiety dialogue. Now, is that who's who's responsible? That's my psychological safety dropping down, right? But mm. whose responsibility is that to fix it? And I think that's a really interesting point because I think some of that is my job to fix mm. it. That is my responsibility to understand how I get triggered, to understand when I get triggered, um, to recognize it in the moment and then to to change my actions and do something different mm. in order to present the best of me and all of that takes practice and insight and you know you're constantly meeting new experiences that may trigger you so it's a lifelong goal to to stay on top of that Mm. um but I think it's unfair and I think that a lot of organizations have gone oh it's the leader's fault so in that scenario they would have gone oh it's their fault Mm. Uh, but I'm not sure that that's true you know it you know what what can they do in that particular circumstance other than do everything they can to make me feel welcome so you know I can't, they can't change the curtains and move bring in a new table and you know there but there are things that an organization needs to turn towards how do we do that now interestingly in that same place when I later went to the toilet which was again a very it all felt very masculine the whole place felt very mm. very masculine with big oil paintings of men on the wall and um and when I went to the toilet there was this massive um uh, hamper of stuff that was very female like you know hair straighteners and <laughs> and all sorts of things and it felt like oh my god they're making some sort of effort here to to encourage me to be here mm. and that sort of helped me untrigger myself but I think it's this this complicated um combination of you know, we need to know that being together means that we've got we can achieve something that we couldn't do on our own. Mm. It means that you're going to take responsibility for encouraging my safety so that I can give my best. And I need to know how to activate myself into the best form of me, knowing that there are things that trigger my unsafety. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think. Yeah, I'll stop talking. I no, I I think what you're touching on here is such a a, a nice approach to um, psychological safety that I often only hear one side of. Um, often when we talk about safety mindsets or psychological safety, we we talk about it from an organisational level. As leaders, we're going, how do we create a team that feels safe, where people can share openly, where people can be courageous? And if it's not safe, it's the fault of the leaders, and the leaders need to do something about it. So what you end up seeing is, okay, we're going to do training, we're going to bring someone in, and we're going to try and you know, force compliance on people to make sure people change. And, or you see the other side of that where we people almost negate the responsibility and say, well, it's not my responsibility about how you feel. So you need to go and sort yourself out. And I think what you've touched on really nicely is how do we find people? Um, how do we bring both of these worlds together at an organizational level? What can we do to create a culture of, of safe spaces, but also individually? Yeah. I love your question, which is who's responsible for this? Well, in part, I'm responsible for how yeah, I'm all feeling. Of us, all, all of us. And it's a really yeah, nice and society blend. and it's it's a really big thing. You know, it's not it's not just that organization, it's not just that leader. 
you know, I mean, how many people do you know? And I, I know heaps that, you know, where the leaders are going, I want people to contribute more. I mm. want them to take risks. I really want them to disagree with me. I want yeah. them to, you know, um, they're looking for that and seeking it. So it's not, it's not as simple as allowing people the space to do that, you know, because we, we walk into places with a whole fixed set of beliefs and expectations over ourselves, over mm. our relationships, over what work is, over who we should be at work. Um, and it, you know, there is this whole kind of role playing thing <laughs> that, you know, we were talking about yesterday is like this, that's what we're being afforded right now is this opportunity to drop some of the role play of who we are, you know, the divides are kind of all those layers that we put on top of ourselves when we walk into a, an office are sort of en enabled to come off because we are in isolation. So we are revealing more of ourselves, revealing more mm. of our lives, connecting deeper because we have this opportunity to kind of change the system that we're operating in. So I think there is there is many things to to blame for psychological unsafety. The the impacts are really quite um, enormous you know mm. not only we have um sort of trapped potential you know we have um people who are not able to contribute their very clever stuff um we have a sort of um almost like a um a, a lack of um really people being able to use each other so there's not building we don't build on each other brilliantly mm. um, and again you think about you know, evolution and survival of the fittest and the way that our society um, uh, enables people to climb the ranks in hierarchy and social status. And, um, and then you've got organizational structures around uh, performance. Uh, and there's a whole host of, uh, and I know heaps of organizations who still really quite clearly operate on a fear-based model mm. um so it there's so much to to look towards to help us change this but i think you know the problems if we don't are probably not just the performance of our organization and we know how much money is wasted on poor communication i'm sure you could talk mm -hmm. about that for a while um but you know in terms of the lack of um, engagement you know we know that people aren't very engaged in in at work we know that people are experiencing high levels of stress mm. at work we know that uh, that that there is a poor sense of belonging at work people don't feel that they belong and that it contributes deeply to their sense of um, value um, we know that there's you know silos within organizations silos within teams you mm. know um, and so much opportunity for conflict and um, distrust um, and and all that interpersonal stuff can be so frictiony you know it can yeah. just create so much friction that the leaders don't know how to activate it you know the individuals in the team don't know how we've got into this situation where i'm spending 20% of my day dealing with interpersonal things that shouldn't shouldn't you know it's very taxing very wearing mm. um and boring you know when we we want to be achieving we don't yeah. want to be um, <laughs> what organization <laughs> do you know that doesn't want to have some kind of high achievement high performing teams or this kind of remove some of the combative nature or the siloed nature of their teams and i think what you're touching yeah. on really nicely here is the importance of when we get this right at a personal level and an organizational level we can really 
transform the way that teams communicate. And obviously I have a, a very um, <laughs> uh, high interest in communication, how teams communicate. And I'd love to kind of bring this into land, talk a little bit about the idea of the, the role of communication and, and what does safety mindset do in terms of transforming the way teams communicate and organizations communicate? You talk about courageous communication. What, what What's the kind of interplay between safety mindsets and courageous communication? Yeah, so one of the reasons that we don't use each other effectively is because we're frightened of um, what would happen if we were more um, honest, if we were more clear with each other. Would we get rejected? Would other mm. people think something of us that would be bad? Um, would I be able to tolerate being able to say it? Uh, would you be able to tolerate hearing it? Um, does it pull us off track you know is it better just to sweep it under the carpet and um and pretend that all is okay so look in the really sort of um obvious obviously struggling teams you get sort of um conflict you get you know quite quite um distracting and negative and difficult and toxic um combats and Mm. obviously that's impossible for a team to do well together through Mm. that and and that needs attention but I think that's where people people's attention really goes to um and in in those teams obviously we've got really stifled individual contributions Mm. where I actually feel that there is a lot of um sort of accepted poor communication is when the team is okay Mm. where it's sort of it's doing okay and when I see those teams, generally what I see is quite a lot of politeness. Um, everybody enjoys, sort of, or at least says that they enjoy working with each other. Mm-hmm. There is a sort of, um, you know, it's enough, you know, and yeah. this is where I just see literally people picking up pieces of carpet and sweeping underneath. And uh-huh. I just think there is a tendency in those teams where the communication has just got quite avoidant. Um, and it sort of heads towards the sort of mediocre because nobody's really, you know, everything's okay. And, and so why take a risk? Um, mm. You know, and I think that that sort of downplay of what we could achieve together comes from a place of, well, um, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's enough. We're, we're doing okay. Um, That's such an interesting insight in, that, in the sense that you would think that the teams that are the most obvious um, places to start are the teams that are highly combative where people mm. are, you know, argumentative or they're out there. But actually what I'm hearing is that the teams that are polite and sweeping things under the rug and avoiding are probably um, less obvious but more important um, to be having conversations about psychological safety. Yeah, and, and it doesn't take much, you know, mm. it doesn't actually take much to move those sorts of teams into a really remarkable space where they are tolerant of um, the difficulty of conversations that would would push them a little bit further. So, mm. you know, because I guess what can happen in a in a in a team that's sort of functioning okay is that the leader ends up taking a lot of the weight of decision making mm. of um, creating the space for everybody, and there's a lot of agreement within those teams that that can put a lot of weight on the on the on the leader. Um, and because what we want is, you know, this classic sort of um, desire is that we have diversity of thought. Yeah. Um, otherwise, really half that team aren't, aren't, aren't useful. You know, there's no there's no point having them on the team. So the, the purpose or the thing that we need to get to is this 
comfort with discomfort. This ability to turn towards um, the uncomfortable conversations because we know that it's worth it because we're going to get more and we're probably going to have more fun because we're going to feel more engaged. You know, that kind of Mm. excitement, nervousness piece of courageous conversations and then the relief and the the extra bonding that you have with someone on the other side of that difficult conversation is where trust comes. So, you know, everybody sort of thinks, you know, trust in a trusted team you can take risks no in a in a team that's able to take risks you get trust wow so the idea is often back to front you know that we kind of need to do you trust me yes i trust you okay you know that that isn't true you know i i need to actually show you that i trust you because i'm willing to take a risk here um, by being more courageous in my conversation because i think you can tolerate it i think i'm going to try and tolerate it um, I think it will put us in a better space. Mm, I mean, oh my gosh, I feel like we could talk about this all day. And the comments that are coming through from people that are watching this live, um, uh, they're really getting a lot out of the conversation <laughs> that you're having. And I, and I kind of want to bring this into land a little bit because I'm mindful and I have a couple of minutes left. We talked about this a bit yesterday about at an individual level, most people don't think we have the ability to to face our fears or overcome our fears. And we, we kind of live yeah. with them. At an individual level, what does this look like? And, and is it possible to overcome some of these fears we're facing? And what are some of your practical tips to kind of leave us with oh that was like a million questions i know like i know to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah look, which I'm, one I'm, you pick the one that you think would <laughs> add the most value to people <laughs> i am absolutely i'm absolutely astounded that people are comfortable to live with the amount of fear that they have mm. um and i think that if i could you know give any piece of advice it would be to you know to really to know that this is not a fixed thing, you know, your fear and um, the way that you believe about who you are and what you can do is just a story. And if you can unpack it, if you can understand where it started, if you can see the cycle of how you um, live with it, how you avoid to um, to try to keep yourself safe. I talk very much in the safety mindset work around um, good safety and bad safety habits. So a bad safety behavior would be anything that gives you the illusion that you're avoiding the fear, but actually what you're doing is avoiding the action that that, that you should be taking mm. in order to get across the fear. So anything to do with avoidance is a bad safety behavior. It gives you the illusion of keeping you safe, mm. um, but it actually encourages more fears. Any good safety behavior is anything that tracks you further towards a goal that you didn't think that you would be able to do. So you don't have to go from zero to 10, but from zero to one. Mm. Um, And you set your mindset towards the potential that you can separate what you do from your fears. Your fears don't have to be your primary goal you know, your, uh, your primary driver, mm. you don't have to, um, you can ex- experience fear and not listen to it. Um, and so the safety mindset work is all about that. It's how do we, um, enable fear to be there, welcome it, acknowledge it, see it, mm. you know, say, thank you. Thanks for guiding me, yeah. but not, um, but not 
choose my response based on how loudly it's shouting at me. Dr. Amy Silla, thank you so much for your time. I feel like this conversation could keep going. And I, and I reckon <laughs> the way I would much rather leave people with wanting more than to um, have people <laughs> drop off at the end. But I would say for people that want to continue this kind of conversation, there's a few things that they could do. Number one, connect with you because the content you put out online is absolutely fantastic. Connect on LinkedIn and all your channels that sit with there. Um, visit your website, dramiasilva.com. You've got um, a couple of great books. You've just launched a recent book um, called Brace for Impact with Alessandra, which is another great book. Um, um, and your your program around safe space um, is uh, helping people do this at an individual and an organizational level. Um, and the last one would be, I mean, I've been seeing some of the content you're putting out through your Courage Club for people at an individual level that are looking to um, choose courage over fear. Some of the resources that you've got on your website um, in the videos you put out have been absolutely fantastic. Dr. Amy Silver, thank you. Thank you. Lovely way to start my day. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.